Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hey, friends, we're at episode 15 already. I can hardly believe that I've done 15 episodes of this show. I feel like I've, I'm just getting started. And I guess I really am. I mean, 15 episodes isn't a lot when you consider all the podcasts out there. However, today I'm talking to somebody who actually helped me a lot when I first got started 15 episodes ago. Um, I'm talking to S. Daniel Smith today. He's a Christian, a husband, a father, a career U.S. Navy sailor, and a freelance writer. Now, I met Dan on Facebook over the summer, and I reached out to him with a lot of questions I had as I got my podcast started, and he was super helpful and um, just generous with his what he'd learned so far in his own foray into podcasting. Um, and I do talk about his podcast a little bit in our interview, so I won't go on about that right now. In our interview, I talked to Dan about his book, his novella that came out last year. It's a sequel to Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's called Saving Ebenezer, The Continuing Saga of a Man Named Scrooge. Um, I've now finished reading it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, the original A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and we talk about that a little bit in the interview, too. So I won't give you any more spoilers. Let's listen to my interview with Dan. S. Daniel Smith, welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Thanks for having me, Allison. I appreciate the invite. Yeah. Last fall, you released a novella called Saving Ebenezer, the continuing saga of a man named Scrooge. Can you tell us about this book? Oh, I definitely can. And I love to talk about this book. So uh, something that has always interested me uh, well, first of all, it's it's a continuation of A Christmas Carol. I suppose we should just kind of get that out of the way right yeah. now, because um, uh, that sometimes frames whether people want to to read it or not. So it's a you know you have a uh, a Christmas Carol. Uh, everyone knows lovable, uh, haggard, uh, grumpy old Scrooge. Um, then we got the Cratchit family, most notably you know Tiny Tim, and uh, and Bob Cratchit and the family. Uh, but what has always interested me in that story is, okay, well, what happens next? Like you talk about cliffhanger, you know, Scrooge wakes up Christmas morning and suddenly everything's fine. And we know that in real life, things aren't just fine. So it has always been an interest of mine to kind of see what happens next. And so the first thing to point out after discussing the fact that it's a continuation of the Christmas Carol is that it does ask that question what's next. So mm. if you've ever asked that question, I hope I can give an answer by the end of the novella. Um, so it picks up Ebenezer's story seven years after the ghosts of uh, Christmas past, Christmas present, and the Christmas yet to come have visited. Scrooge yeah. has done what he promised to do. He has given away his fortune to help the poor and to try and save uh, Tiny Tim, uh, becoming essentially another father or uh, an uncle, as it were, to the to the children. And, uh, and so he has found himself now essentially destitute and a uh, tragedy has struck. And so that is where we find Scrooge again. And this book then tries to, to discover 
what hope looks like to Scrooge now and, uh, and who can help him find it. So what inspired you to write this? Was it just wanting to answer that question for yourself or? That's, that's a great question too. And, and I hate to sound trite, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, but I got to get it out because it, there is a, so much truth to it. I, the actual inspiration to write this, no joke, came from the Holy Spirit. I, I really believe that. Mm. And uh, that doesn't mean that the book is the best book you're ever going to read, but it does mean that that's, that was truly specifically laid on my heart. So that's, that's the starting point for the inspiration. But yeah. it did come from, you know, I've seen people, uh, you know, Christians, I mean, by and large, have tried to kind of incorporate the story of a Christmas carol into a Christian message. And while there are certainly Christian concepts, particularly of giving, of helping the poor, of understanding uh, people who are in worse condition than yourself, you know, there are some good Christian concepts in the book, uh, itself a novella, actually. Um, right. There, There is really not a true gospel hope in the book, as far as I consider it. Um, right. And I, I realize that, that I'm not the, you know, expert, but I couldn't see it. And so the inspiration, which I, I do believe came from uh, the Holy Spirit, was to kind of find it. Like, is it there? Is there a way to see it? And if not, what would it take to get there? And so that's kind of where we found first chapter. Yeah. Um I don't find that trite because I think the Holy Spirit nudges us to do things and to write what he wants us to write. So thank you. I, I'm so interested in this. Um, I started reading, I I read a few chapters of it Mm. so far. Um, but I love Charles Dickens and I have a special affinity for Christmas Carol in particular. And it's interesting that you bring up that like, um, Christians have tried to make it into something with a Christian message because it was actually my church, um, produced, it as a play several years. I mean, over a course of many years, but I was in it several times as different characters. Um, so I have a special love for this, this, the original book, A Christmas Carol. Um, but what is your history with A Christmas Carol? When did you start to be interested in this book or Charles Dickens? Um, no joke. It was through the Muppets. And I don't remember <laughs> how old I was, but it was a while back. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm actually fascinated in the fact that you grew up with the play. Uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's kind of going away in our churches. Uh, of course, yeah. COVID didn't help. That kind of sealed right. the deal. But, you know, we tend to have, you know, your Christmas pageants and uh, a Easter pageant right. of some type. And, uh, and so I'm really actually fascinated in the fact that you have played parts in the, the original. Um, but I've reached out to some folks now and, and, uh, there doesn't seem to be an appetite at all. And like I said, COVID's really kind of killed it, but, um, mm. but yeah, my, my origination with the story, uh, was as a child and it was through the Muppets. And as I, uh, went through my young adult into my adulthood and then now seeing it all again with my kids, um, it just, I guess that's where the the question passed. Um, okay, that's a really cool ending. 
you know, everything got tied up like a good book should get tied up. Uh, but that's just not quite satisfying to me. So, Uh, so I guess it started when I was a kid and then the real questioning about it came in the adult life. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how your whole book wraps up because, um, you know, at the end of a Christmas Carol where we have all this joy and relief that tiny Tim did not die. Um, so I take issue with a certain plot point of yours. Um, you open your book, your sequel, um, with an echo of the first line of A Christmas Carol. So for those who don't know, A Christmas Carol begins, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. Your novella opens, Tiny Tim was dead to begin with. There was no doubt about that. And although that's clever and familiar, my immediate reaction was no. So yeah, <laughs> I just wonder, like, how did you know that was the direction you wanted to take the story? So my only current only one star review is because a person took immediate um, distaste because of the initial, in fact, they oh. didn't even finish writing or reading the book. So uh, you are not alone. Uh, oh, well, in, but that's not fair. I mean, well, you know, <laughs> I, and I, it's, kept reading. But I don't, <laughs> but uh, I don't fault the person for it. Um, they, yeah. they knew what happened at the end of the book. And it it does suggest very strongly at the end of A Christmas Carol that Tiny Tim's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is, I don't have him dying. Here's how I get around the plot point. So this is the, the author uh, workshop, uh, if I may. Yes. He does not die from what he was suffering from. Right. In fact, that in itself becomes a, a minor plot point for Scrooge's struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, Scrooge essentially managed to save him, um, from that, but, uh, but yet tiny Tim dies anyway. And so, uh, now the reason for that is very simple. If, and it gets to the, the theme of the book itself. And I, I know that's probably a question that you'll come up on later. So I'll, I'll try to hold some of it, but, um, where does our hope come from? For Scrooge, for Ebenezer, at the end of A Christmas Carol, his hope was coming from giving away his uh, his fortune to make right his wrongs. And a lot of that went towards the Cratchit family. Yeah. But but as a believer, as a, and I know not all your audience is Christian, but as a, as a Christian myself, right. that's not where I find my hope. And so... Yeah, I had to take Tiny Tim away from the equation as a pl- uh, you know as a plot device. If I can be cold about it, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why it happened. And I am apologetic to people who really, really love Tiny Tim. I will say it it broke my heart a little bit to have it, to do it. Right. If it if it makes anybody feel any better, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes sense because I think I think you're right that Scrooge had to. Well, he had to realize that his salvation wasn't in good works. He, he had to hit rock bottom, I guess. Is that is that what you would say? I mean, I haven't read the whole thing yet. Yes, and the you know the argument could be made. Uh, well, didn't he already hit rock bottom? And I guess you know I've never had visitations from spirits, uh, whether <laughs> they are you know biblically based ones or not. That's another thing that kind of concerned me, by the way, uh, uh. with the original, but. Um, but I've never been, at least I don't think I've been visited by spirits. Um, so yeah, was he at rock bottom? Maybe. 
But rock bottom, and maybe I've just hit worse rock bottoms, maybe, I don't know. But uh, rock bottom to me is God taking away everything that you had left so that the only thing that's left is what he gives. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I saw a hint of that in A Christmas Carol, um, but I, I didn't quite get the feel that Scrooge had actually truly changed yet. He had changed uh, with good feelings. Right. Um, goodwill towards men and 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 the world around him, and those are all. By the way, those are all good things. I'm not. I, I know the danger here is. Oh, so you're saying I shouldn't give to the poor, and that is certainly not what I'm saying. No. But where does the again? Where does the hope come from? And so, uh, I pulled these things away from Scrooge. Uh, one to show him. Uh, as you know, I grew to really appreciate him and I wanted, you know, I know he's not alive. I get it, but <laughs> I wanted to show my character right. what real hope looked like, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm, um, our characters are real, even if they're not flesh and blood. Oh yeah, sure. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, sometimes they do things that we actually even want them to do. Other times they do whatever they want. <laughs> right. So I've, I mentioned I've read the first few chapters, and so far you've captured the tone of Dickens' writing very well. Um, I feel it feels like a continuation of the same story. Can you kind of explain how you managed to write in the same style as Dickens? I love that question, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about that because it was really important for me that I didn't just write a modern version of A Christmas Carol. Right. And uh, for many reasons, but one of the most important ones was I appreciated the original story. I know, you know, there's a lot of things that I have said that I have concerns with, but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate what Dickens did. Yeah. Uh, it, not just in the Christmas Carol, his other writings as well, which I'm not as familiar with as a Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to make sure I captured the essence of his style. We don't write the way we did back then. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't read the way readers read back then. And so I, I knew I couldn't just duplicate them. Plus, that wouldn't be authentic anyway. But I right. did want to pay respect. And so I started, I, I'll, I'll say I started by writing a couple of chapters. And then when I realized the storyline could actually work, I stopped writing and I read A Christmas Carol straight through. Mm. Um. And then I went back to writing. And so my flow started to change a little bit. And then I'd say after I finished my first draft, I went back. Actually, I had gotten stuck. And I went back and I read it again. And then I went back and I finished the first draft. And I, I think I probably have read A Christmas Carol uh, during the year or so that I was actively writing the book or the novella. I probably read it five times during that time period. And so when I, when you talk about, you know, how did you capture it? I captured it by trying to be Dickens as much as I could while yeah. understanding that I was writing for a modern audience. Right. That's great. Um, so you mentioned the theme a little bit. Do you want to expand on the theme? Yeah. So the theme, and again, I understand that not everyone is a, a, Christian, a believer in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I get that and I understand. Uh, for me, though, uh, the question is, where does your hope come from? And I didn't want to be preachy about it. Uh, I've 
I think I've gotten a pretty good sense from beta readers and from the reviews that I, I managed to not be preachy. So the goal was not to be yeah. preachy, but the goal was to help a reader, even if they are already Christians, to ask themselves the question of where their hope comes from. I think mm-hmm. especially around the holiday period, um, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, a lot of goodwill and and hope towards, you know, man and, and the world around us. And uh, those feelings are going to go away. I mean, right. we've lived through probably the worst year in modern times, at least mm-hmm. the, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure someone from World War II or who went through the Spanish flu would disagree, but Certainly in our era, we've gone through the worst year probably of any of them. And so people who gave their fortunes away in 2019 or did did things, excuse me, to, you know, help the poor in the end of 2019, those feelings left pretty quickly around uh, (laughs) mid-March. And uh, and suddenly it became, I can't even go down the street without wearing a mask in many places. Yes. And so- where does hope come from that can last past that if that if that I'm making myself clear and so yeah the uh the opportunity to write about that and to really encompass that idea was important throughout that story right and it's oh, it's so good that you release this uh, toward the end of 2019 which feels like a lifetime ago but um I mean, people need that hope now more than ever, or maybe they're looking for it and ready for it. Um, maybe they realize they need it or want it more now. Well, and it's been a good opportunity for me to take a dose of my own medicine. Uh, yeah. You know, because, and I haven't lost anybody due to COVID, but it has, uh, you know, disrupted several things in my life, like it has everybody. Right. Uh, it changed uh, a it was a minor tweak, but there was a little bit of a tweak in my career progression uh, with mm. my job in the Navy, uh, just having to get waivers to do certain things. And 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 I know that's minor compared to what most people had to go through. Um, but it is it what this theme is a reminder for me as well, just as much as anybody else that I've I've got to make sure I've got my head screwed on straight too, as far as where my my hope comes from. Right. Yeah, that's so good. So can you tell me about your research process for this book? Yes. And I, I hope by the time the, the, uh, the mess that is written on my notepad is done, it'll make sense. Um, (laughs) So like I said, I started probably, uh, I would say probably my starting point was the original, A Christmas Carol. Um, You know, I wanted to make sure I was getting at least the right sense and you know, a lot of modern takes on it have prettied it up, you know, uh, again with the Muppets, you know, we got the grumpy Scrooge, but really, you know, London's just this pretty snowfalled city with horses and carriages and everybody sings and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, London didn't look like that. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, there was, I'm sure picturesque places, but as I did research, I learned that, you know, maybe the London I thought Scrooge uh, lived in and that Dickens was writing about wasn't really the London uh, that existed. And so now, of course, if you read A Christmas Carol, particularly as originally written, you you won't get a sense of a of a happy place. You'll get what was probably more real. But right. I start so that's why I started my research there. You know, what is what was really originally written about? And so 
you know, while I guess you would call that a primary source because Dickens lived during that time frame, it's, you know, I took it from the book. So I would, I would call that probably a secondary source, but it did mm-hmm. frame it. So, uh, and as I did my, both my writing and my editing, uh, what I would do is I would just make a note if something didn't quite work or if it, you know, didn't quite make a whole lot of sense or I thought it needed the explanation of the time period. And so, uh, for example, there's a funeral scene early on and I wanted to make sure I really captured what a, an 1850s funeral would look like in, in London. And yeah. so there was a lot of research about that. Now I've unfortunately forgotten some of the places that I got all of my research from, but one, I'll make a recommendation if that's okay. Cause I think this, yeah, will, sure. this would help anyone who's researching that time period. Uh, the book, uh, what Jane Austen ate and Charles Dickens knew is mm. the title. The subtitle is from Fox hunting to whist the facts of daily life in 19th century England. It's written by Daniel Poole. And, uh, and it's, it was out several years ago. Um, I'm trying to, yeah, I've heard of, I've heard of that book, but 1994 actually was its first uh, publication. So it's been out a while. Yeah. And I got it from, uh, the local library. Uh, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. You'll probably get a used copy, but, um, it was, it was fascinating and it really helped me understand everything from, uh, from a funeral to you know why Dickens wrote a certain way he wrote uh, his emphasis on writing for the the you know the plight of the poor and the downtrodden and and workhouses I didn't really understand what a workhouse or a poorhouse was and I learned that through that process uh, right. so that I could better capture you know when Scrooge says uh, you know better something uh, and I'm going to mess up the original quote here but you know better that they they die so that, you know, the poor houses won't be as full or whatever. Yeah. Decrease the surplus population. Thank you so much. I'm I'm a little, I'm a little familiar with. Yes, you are. I forget. Um, so yeah. So when he says that, what does he mean? Well, if you, if you do the research in there and you find out just how bad those situations were, um, you know, again, where does your hope come from? You know, is it in the, you know, welfare system of the day. Well, that was not good back then. And <laughs> so, right. Um, so I would do that. So that book helped out a, a great deal. Uh, I, I, a lot of people have kind of given that book some, gr- some guff because it does spoil a lot of, uh, storylines from that time period, especially if you're a Dickens or an Austin fan. Mm. But, um, if you haven't read them already, I don't know, you know, how you can expect not to have your story spoiled, but, as far as understanding why they wrote the way they wrote and everything, it was uh, it was truly a godsend, to be honest. Um, so a lot of the research was there. I got a lot of research from the internet. Uh, there's plenty of stuff out there. Knowing uh, how a well-dressed person would look in uh, the 1850s was important, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I needed to go find out where they would, you know, where would they shop in 1850 London? uh, to, to look good. Where were the, where's their neighborhood, you know, uh, fifth Avenue or whatever that we would think of nowadays. Yeah. So, so all that was wrapped up in the research. Uh, that's how I did it. It was not a well thought out plan. Uh, it was a, uh, I would write for a while, realize I was stuck and, uh, violate every known, a workshop rule of just to make a note and keep going, I would usually stop and it would bother me until I got some <laughs> answers. But 
but that's how I did it. It was a lot from that book, other books in the library, readily available, and then uh, the internet as well. Right. Great. Yeah, I try to follow that rule, but it's it's so easy to go down a rabbit trail and just spend the rest of your day on the internet finding out what you want to know. <laughs> yeah, for stories that you're not writing right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is what I would yes. do a lot. I'm like, oh, that'll make a Get great plot line for, another, for another place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when and how did you begin writing? Have you always loved writing? Has it always been part of your life? Or? Uh, you mean in general? In general. Oh, yes. Um, I think I was born writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did develop the desire as a child, very young, before I could actually write. I would uh, I'd take out books that I had at the library or in, in our house in Kansas, mm-hmm. and I would make my mom copy stuff down. I mean, it was straight plagiarism. I didn't know what it meant to write a book. I just knew that I would <laughs> I needed to write a book. And so wow. she would, you know, dutifully copy things down before I was even a, a, a person in class, a kid in class. And, and we'd take a, you know, make some copies of the, the notepad at, at my grandma and grandpa's work. And, uh, you know, I'd proudly display my book. And so that was before I was even a, a student in school. Um, in fact, I can remember trying to copy what my mom was doing, which was also already copying. And I couldn't make the letters work because I didn't know how to write them yet. But that's just what I knew I was going to do. And so uh, that's really the the beginning. That was the catalyst. And I am grateful forever for my mom. She's passed, but she really mm-hmm. got the, uh, she kindled that fire that maybe she already saw in me that was already yeah. there. Or maybe she helped plant it. I don't know, but I'm grateful either way. Um, and then when I was in the third grade, I had a, a teacher by the name of Mrs. Bird. And, um, she let me, I, I, well, I was already writing the stories, uh, in a, in a notepad and it, you know, tended to be a cross between call of the wild and white fang. Cause I, I still didn't know how to actually write an individual, uh, storyline yet, but she would actually let me read it to the class or she would read it to the class. And so that was in the third grade and that again, just kindled that, that fire that was in me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in the high school, I had a teacher named Mrs. Johnson who, who, you know, we didn't grow up with, you know, a lot of surplus uh, in my house and couldn't afford a computer when computers were starting to become cool in the mid nineties. And she would let me check out a computer anytime I wanted to take home to write my stories. And so, you know, these people came along starting with my mom and then some very key teachers who helped develop that thing, that desire that was all already in me. Um, But it started when I was a kid and it never let up. And I've tried to quit a couple of times out of frustration and it doesn't last very long. Mm -hmm. Do you have other books published and are they all indie? And do you want to talk about your choice to go indie versus traditional? Or what do you think? (laughs) No, that's great. Uh, This is a good time. Um, So I have been published before uh, in novel length form. And it was by a small press that unfortunately... Uh, isn't around anymore. The owner had to make some decisions, and and one mm-hmm. of those was ultimately to close the the publisher. And uh, so that book is actually still available through used books, but it was not a good book, so don't buy it. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. He took a risk on me and it was a risk that didn't work out. So close the publisher. Yeah, I, I closed the, <laughs> I closed it down. Um, <laughs> at least you're um, man enough to admit. Well, that. I don't, uh, there's, there's, it's not false humility. It's all real on that one. <laughs> uh, it was, it was just not, it wasn't super good. Um, and so I, I, but I learned a lot. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was my first traditional published opportunity mm-hmm. in, in book form. My first publication was in a magazine in the year 2000. And, uh, and I've been published in, I think close to 20 publications Nice. Uh, one of them fiction, but the rest of them all uh, nonfiction. And so that's where I kind of thought I would just be writing from now on. And I still yeah. think that I would, I will continue writing in the nonfiction world periodically, no pun intended, periodicals, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I do want to write novel length form uh, and, and, and kind of become more of a novelist as it were. Um, mm-hmm. I do, n- I did not want to be an independent a published author. I'll be honest about that. I wanted to, yeah, I still have the dream to, to land big, you know, New York houses and all that. And, uh, right. you know, have a lot of fun with that. And I, I think that would be a, a good time, but this one was a, a very specific project. It, first of all, in novella form, there isn't a large, uh, market for that, um, in the bigger houses, uh, because right. of, you know, the return on investment for them uh, and price points and whatnot. It just makes more sense for an indie uh, project uh, because of its length. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because I was focused on telling the rest of Ebenezer Scrooge's story, those two things together really made it from the beginning that it was going to be a, um, an independent project. And the final thing that made it that way is the timing of where my career was where I was stationed at the time last year when it came out and, uh, and where I was going to be next, where I am in 2020, all really kind of said, I, I really can't for this project wait the two or three years that a traditional publication would take when they may not be in the market for a novella anyway. So I know that's kind of convoluted, but, but there was a real, it had to be an independent project for this one. Um, and you know, someday I hope to get back into traditional publications. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that totally makes sense. And I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad it came out when it did because it seems like it was just a message that was on your heart that needed to get out there. Yes, it was. Okay. So aside from your job in the Navy, um, your writing, and then, uh, you've appeared on several podcasts, you also host your own podcast. Um, can you tell us about that? Oh, I didn't expect that one. Um, <laughs> I you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, no, I just know our, our audiences probably don't really cross over all that much, but maybe. Um, I host a podcast called Coffee in Space, and it is a science fiction author's podcast. Uh, I have authors on um, most of the episodes. Some of them I do solo where I just talk about the books and the storylines that I've been reading, but uh, most of the time I'll have an author on to talk about their projects, uh, particularly if it's a, a recent book, uh, like you do on your show. And, um, and so that's what it is. It's, um, it's been going since April. It was my COVID project. And yeah. so, uh, when I was at home with more time on my hands, 
I decided now was the time. And so, yep, I'm, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure you've kind of realized it too. Talking to authors about their writing, uh, first of all, is a lot of fun. Uh, right. Secondly, it, it gets me, uh, honestly, it gets me some free copies of books every now and then, which is nice. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, fills my TBR pile, my to be right. read pile. Um, but also it's helping my craft immensely. Uh, as I learn about other people's world building, um, mm. I, I re- think back to the world building that took place for uh, Saving Ebenezer, where I kind of had to learn what Dickens's world looked like at that time in real life. Uh, you know, is it, learning about their world building and their characterization, even for science fiction, has helped me a great deal with uh, the fiction that I've been writing. Right. Awesome. The free books, it's a nice perk. Um, I was, I have a publisher who set me up with a a lot of their authors for some interviews and they sent me a box of ARCs, which that's for people who don't know, it's advanced readers copy or advanced reading copy. Um, And when I opened it, my husband, who's really into mountain biking, he was like, um, I'm going to start a mountain biking podcast. So they have to send me mountain bikes to try out. <laughs> and <review>. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, people do that. Like right. that's, I know people who do, uh, you know, podcasts or YouTube, uh, YouTube channels that they get, you know, yeah, everything from new computers to cell phones and, and, you know, the, the worth of a couple of free books doesn't, isn't going to hit that, but uh, that, that level of financial no, investment right. by a, a producer or a publications, uh, unit, but, uh, but it's still, it is a nice perk. It is not the reason I started doing it. No, I know it's not the reason either. you started doing it, but it is a <laughs> no. nice perk to see these copies, uh, sometimes even before the final edits are done. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so what are you writing now? I am writing a lot of things right now <laughs> and yet nothing all at the same time. In fact, that was a journal entry I made, uh, the uh, last couple of days. Um, I'm working a lot on craft. So one of the things that writing Saving Ebenezer proved to me, and I hope this doesn't turn anybody off to the book because I really actually think it's, it's, you know, it's a good book. I think I, yeah. I, I at least put the effort in to make it in a good book and I think you'll enjoy it. But yes. I did realize through that process, I wasn't there yet. And that was a humbling uh, experience for me. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of, I've had a lot of pride probably because people have told me for a long time that I had talent. Right. Um, I didn't realize that while I do, I do think God truly gave me some talent to write and create these storylines. He didn't create it in me um, fully developed. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, it really bothered me when people reject my writing. Yeah. And, uh, and that even caused problems between me and my wife, if I'm to be honest, because I would give her something that I thought surefire she was going to drop everything she was doing and just hug me because this is the best thing that's ever been written. And when right. she put red ink all over the page, it really, I like, I just couldn't understand. And yeah. so right now, uh, th- there was definitely no reason for that sidebar, but, um, <laughs> okay. I love but, those interesting things. Yeah. I, mean, I guess you know a little bit more about me too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that all really helped me realize, you know what, I, I've got to learn more. So I have, I don't know if you know, Thomas Umstead Jr., I or do. know of his stuff. Um, are we in the novel marketing podcast together? 
Yes, we are. Okay. And I've, I actually took his class on, oh, pod, did you? on podcasting. Oh, did you? That's what awesome. got me really interested in doing Oh, cool. This. Well, I, um, I'm doing his five-year plan to becoming a best-selling author. So I, am I, but I'm you? still, a, I'm, yeah, I, I shouldn't really say that I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I, I'm stuck on year two myself, but, uh, him, uh, Thomas Umstead Jr. and James L. Rubart put this course yeah. together, um, uh, really retracing what, uh, James, uh, Jim Rubart did to, to get to where he is. Um, right. it took him about 10 years and, and they've, you know, if you fast forward it by not making the mistakes that he made or the sidetracks that he took, and you could theoretically be a best-selling author in five years instead of 10. Mm-hmm. And if I weren't stuck on year two, I'd probably be on track for that. But uh, what I've done because year one and part of year two is going back and writing short stories and yeah. really honing craft, um, just that's what I've been doing to be completely forthcoming. Uh, right. I knew Saving Ebenezer was what I wanted. I knew that it was a story for the the moment for me and for the world. Uh, I, I promise that's not a prideful statement. Um, uh, and, and open to interpretation, but, uh, I also knew that this talent isn't where it needs to be. And so I have kind of put a pause on publication for now, Mm -hmm. uh, to go develop this craft better. And so I've got a bunch of short stories. I'm in a writer group now, uh, where I have humbled myself and started taking direction a little bit better than I did once upon a time. And, uh, and it has been a boon for my development. I, I know I write better than I used to write. Um, but because of that, to answer your actual question, there are no books coming out anytime super soon uh, with S. Okay. Daniel Smith on them uh, because I want to get better. Right. Well, good for you. I think that's, it's a really hard thing to do to stop and not to stop. <laughs> Not that you should stop writing, but to stop the pursuing publication and work on your craft. Um, a lot of people jump into pursuit of publication too fast, I think. Um, I think that's why it's so hard to get an agent to look at a query letter because <laughs> they're they're just flooded. Um, yeah, and they are. And I used to be, I used to be, I haven't done it recently. So, you know, I, I probably st- still would be. Um, I am, I have been the slush in their slush pile. Like yeah, if I sure. think about it honestly enough, um, and that's actually how I can measure a little bit of my uh, growth as a writer, and I'm sure you can and have too, is when I stop getting form letters and I start getting uh, this point, this point, and this plot line were good, right. uh, develop this a little bit more and send us something new. Uh, you know, I'm starting to get those a little bit every now and then. And so- I can yes. tell it's working, but it's just it's just not quite there yet. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you start getting feedback instead of just uh, the form rejection letter. Yeah. Good. So um, I know this is, was your one foray into writing historical fiction, but I, I know you read some historical fiction too. Um, so how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Uh, that's a great question. And I don't think that's just relegated to historical fiction, although, you know, I understand mm-hmm. that that's the context of what we're talking about. But the only reason I say that is because my first understanding of history came from listening to stories from my grandpa, who was a 
a part of a, he was a tail gunner on a bomber in World War II. Right. Um, but it's still so, story. Right. right. And uh, yeah, in fact, uh, he, he was, I should have mentioned him too, because he was an influencer on me early on too, but he would tell mm. stories and, uh, and talk about it. And I would read his books and pretend I was a fighter pilot or something of that nature. And, you know, as I was yeah. growing up in Kansas and, and then I would see pictures that my dad took, uh, when he was on his ship, uh, during Vietnam, you know, so these, these things always, uh, kind of helped form my understanding of history. And I think people who don't get that when they're growing up, whatever history it is, uh, they, they miss out on understanding a little bit about where the world is right now. Um, because the, the truth is humans kind of are still human. And while we've made some super great advances in things like the fact that you and I are doing this interview over um, an internet program, right? Uh, and I can receive advanced review copies for my podcast on my phone uh, from yeah. publishers, you know, these yeah. things are all really cool. But the fact is, I can still wake up tomorrow and be just as selfish as Ebenezer Scrooge was in 1843 when the uh, Christmas Carol was written. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to say things don't change because things change, but, but the fall of man, again, getting into a faith element, the fall of man was pretty fundamental to who we are as humans. And history tells us, well, history just asks us, in my opinion, history asks us over and over again, where do you get your hope from? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, not to harp on that too much, but I really do believe that. Um, you know, in yeah. World War II, you know, there, the hope was in a mighty United States that was going to come and save everybody. And in many ways we did. Uh, we, and I say we, cause I am an American and my grandfathers both, uh, were in World War II. Okay. Um, but, but that doesn't last long. Uh, we were, you know, already back at war in 1950. And so, uh, lasting hope yeah. for humans, whether if it's from a historical lesson or what you can see every day, lasting hope has to come from something more than what we have in our lives every day. Mm -hmm. And I think history teaches us that. Yeah, absolutely. Good words. Well, Dan, it was great talking with you. Um, how can listeners purchase your book? And do you want to tell us, I believe there's a sale going on when this Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. Um, so I am exclusively at the moment on Amazon. And mm -hmm. uh, I completely understand uh, if there's anyone who um, has problems with that. And please reach out to me because we can work out something else. Uh, but I am on Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. And you can just search on the Amazon for Saving Ebenezer. Uh, during the week that this uh, airs on your, uh, your channel, um, yeah. The book, which the ebook, which is normally $2.99, uh, uh, which was a pretty intentional price point in and of itself, is for uh, 99 cents. So, right. uh, there's, you know, go take a, take a risk and, and see what you think. And the reason I did that is because uh, during the Thanksgiving to Black Friday, that whole week, uh, give it a read for, you know, 99 cents or whatever. And then you, if it does make the impact that I, I believe it'll make, then you still have time to get it as a Christmas gift to send somebody else and you haven't made quite the financial investment uh, for your own copy. 
Yeah. And so, uh, so that's why anyway, so it's on Amazon, uh, just saving Ebenezer will get you there and you can read the reviews and you can read the synopsis, uh, right. And get the deal. Awesome. What are the dates of that deal? Just so we, uh, 23rd, uh, through the 30th okay. of November. Awesome. How can listeners follow you online? I have a website, sdanielsmith.com. Uh, it's all one word, S-D-A-N-I-E-L-S-M-I-T-H.com. And I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, I have an author page that's at S. Daniel Smith. And then okay. um, I'm on Twitter, but uh, I don't like Twitter very much right now. So <laughs> I wouldn't say the best way to find me is on Twitter, but I am there at, okay. at author Dan Smith. Um, uh, so those are the big, the, the most, the easiest way is to, to go to the website. And I do have a, a newsletter um, that I uh, send out periodically mm-hmm. um, that talks about some things that are important to me at the moment. Uh, they can sign up for that there. I'll uh, shoot them some free fiction if they want that. Yeah. And uh, so sdanielsmith.com, you can get on the newsletter or uh, like the author Facebook page, S. Daniel Smith. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great being here. Thanks. So friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really liked talking to Dan. He was a lot of fun and easy to talk to. And I hope you enjoyed it too. There's something I've been wanting to mention on the podcast from time to time, because it's not an overtly Christian podcast, but a lot of the authors I talk to are Christians. Um, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so a lot of my contacts are within the um, the Christian publishing world, although not all of them. So I will have some authors on the podcast who are just in the general market and may not be Christians, and um, I just... My goal is just to let these topics come up organically as they occur and not to censor that, um, the faith element, because it's important to me and it's probably important to a lot of my listeners too. But if it's not important to you, then, you know, just listen and um, I hope you enjoy the podcast anyway. On another topic, I want to make sure I say thank you. You guys are really coming through for me with the ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um if you haven't heard me say it before and you or you haven't done it yet, then do go to my podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to it and leave a rating and review because it really helps people find the podcast. Whatever you can do to share about historical fiction unpacked would be great because anyone who loves reading historical fiction, I think they would love this podcast too. So friends, I'm going to leave you with a quote by the great Charles Dickens. Um, I think it's really apropos this week as we were entering into Thanksgiving and the season of Advent. Um, and it's been it's been a tough year, you know, as Dan mentioned in the interview, 2020 has been a difficult year. So I think this quote from A Christmas Carol and Other Christmas Writings by Charles Dickens is perfect for today. He said, Reflect upon your present blessings, of which every man has many not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. So let's follow that advice, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving and keep reading historical fiction. 